Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we are studying the fifth of seven letters that Jesus has commanded John to write to the churches of Asia Minor. The letter to the church in Sardis contains some troubling indictments and provides an important word to the church today. It's all too easy to get caught in a spiritual rut of just going through the motions in our devotion and love to Christ. Well, thanks for listening today as we seek to obey the call given to this lethargic and sleepy dead church in Sardis to wake up. Well, um, in our house, ice cream is something that's a little rare. Every now and then it makes it into our freezer. And uh, it was this past week, uh, my wife and I just had particularly long days and uh, had a meeting up here at church at 4.30. But she got home from work. It was about 4 o'clock. We thought, as we always try to sit together on the couch and just make sense of our lives and reconnect uh, together, maybe... Maybe we'll just lay down and take a quick nap, you know, like a power nap, you know. And so I asked Micah if he'd go watch Sadie, and, and Emily got this big heavy blanket. And we just kind of sat there right on the couch and just just dozed off, right? And um, lo and behold, those two kids found the ice cream. <laughs> you know what this is? This is an empty box of ice cream is what this is. This, this is what those little kids did because while we were asleep, they snuck like little mice into the freezer and ate all the ice cream. Um, there's a lesson in there for what you need to do to be careful when you are asleep because, yeah, a thief can come when you're not expecting it steal your ice cream from you. Uh, I also learned as you're going to try to fall asleep, there's uh, three keys to it. If anyone's ever had trouble, here's how you do it. If you need to fall asleep, step number one, you need to get comfortable, right? So there we were on the couch. You just find a like a crack, you know what I'm talking about? Just like a crevice in the couch. Feels like you're being swaddled. It's wonderful, right? And then secondly, you have to tune everything out. Um, I don't know how you guys sleep, but I I try to put like my head over my ear or my, my, my hand over my ear kind of blocks out all the sound. I think that's how they were able to pitter-patter by us because we were tuning all the noises out. And then the last, uh, last way that you can fall asleep, just blink of an eye, um, is if you kind of go through repetitive type of motions. You've heard of counting sheep, right? Why does that put you to sleep? Because it's just the same thing over and over and over. And sometimes you can focus on your breathing. All right, just in and out, and that repetition, it'll calm you down, and you'll fall right asleep. You know, uh, it's, a, it's a metaphor, not just as to how you can get better rest. It's actually a warning to the church. Uh, we're in the book of Revelation, and if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn there to chapter 3 today. Uh, as we reach the fifth church in our study, Jesus' letters to these churches in Asia Minor, we come to the letter to Sardis, the church in Sardis. I've entitled this message, uh, Dead Deeds and Alertness, because the problem in Sardis is they fell asleep. That was the problem. The, the church fell asleep, but you would have never known it. From the outside, you would have never even suspected that this was a sleeping church. And three ways in which it's very easy for a church to unplug from its influence in the world are, number one, they get too comfortable. Number two, they tune out their purpose for being here. And number three, they just go through the motions. Same thing week after week. And in Sardis, 
this was the case. Uh, just before we uh, look into the text here, I want to help us to get our bearings. And so a couple weeks ago, I put a map up here so you would know kind of the region of where we're referring to. You can see them, the Mediterranean here. And all seven churches are located here on the western part of what is presently today the country of Turkey. Um, if you were, in fact, to zoom in right there on those particular churches or cities, you would see uh, them scattered about as what may in fact have been an ancient mail route. You know, as the um, Pony Express, uh, as it were, were to make its way across all of these different cities, uh, very much in the same fashion that these are letters to be delivered. We started here in Ephesus on number one and then up to Smyrna and Pergamum. And then we moved over to Thyatira last week, and st- we're starting to now make our way from the coast, moving now inland to Sardis, which is right there in the middle. Uh, Sardis was a city that was really an ancient city, um, had influence from Persians, Greek, and Romans, so very Gentile city. Um, a few of the characteristics uh, that really made uh, Sardis well-known was, uh, first of all, it had a really a thriving wool industry. Uh, Sardis was a crossroads of commerce, and, and so they, uh, in, in fact, influenced the region with their wool industry, textile industry, um, dyeing and fabrics. They were well known for that. Secondly, at Sardis, you would um, understand them to be a fairly lucrative city. Um, if you wanted to live comfortably, you would retire in Sardis. Uh, if, if you wanted to know that you had peace and safety, Sardis was the place to go. They lived in luxury. In fact, one commentator uh, gave this accounting. The luxurious living of the Sardinians led to moral decay. Um, I, feel, I feel like preaching on that right now. Uh, the, the one thing I'm always I'm preaching at my son, I said two things kids today don't know how to do. They don't know how to work and they don't know how to wait. They don't know how to work. They don't know how to wait. And, and why is that? Because they largely live in luxury. Um, and that's a product that I don't know if you're aware of. So do you. Uh, dangerous thing. Dangerous thing to live with all of your needs met. Uh, having anything that you want. Uh, I sometimes use the illustration of strawberry Christianity because it used to be only kings could get strawberries. Now who lives like a king? Everybody can get strawberries. Yeah, so that that would be similar to Sardis. They were known uh, just for uh, luxurious living, and luxurious living does tend to lead to moral decay, moral decadence. Uh, lastly, Sardis uh, was well known for its uh, geography. Uh, it was surrounded by these very high cliffs. In fact, on three sides, it formed a natural protective barrier around where they would build the citadel. Uh, in fact, on the, uh, the, the, the back wall on that cliffside uh, was thought to be impregnable. Uh, 1,500 foot high cliffs. And yet, in the history of the city, Sardis was invaded and conquered not once, but twice. Because they failed to be vigilant. They thought they were so protected, they failed to take a look and watch as uh, the invaders snuck over the hills, through the little goat paths and cravines, and came upon them suddenly without them being aware. Twice this happened 
in their history. And um, it's something uh, notable for our understanding as Jesus is going to prepare to write to them. Uh, You will see common themes that we know from the city that show up in the letter. So with all of that background in mind, let me invite you to turn now to God's word. Book of Revelation chapter 3. We're going to read through the passage. And then uh, in the course of our study, as we make some observations, um, we're going to actually turn to a letter written to a neighboring church. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see a common theme that's going on between these two cities. So here we go. Revelation chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here on this uh, very short letter, um, what we will see is that this actually is the gravest indictment of all. Um, You might remember that the Thyatiran church had a corruption within. Uh, They uh, had a very severe judgment that was going to come on them. You remember uh, from last week, the woman Jezebel, do you remember our our whole uh, discussion over this? And what was going to happen to her children, do you recall? Jesus was going to come and strike them dead. He was going to throw her on a bed of suffering and all those who practiced other. Right. That's a very severe judgment, but it's not an indictment. Sardis has an indictment against them. The accusation to the Sardinians is you you look like you're alive. You you made a reputation for yourself. But what are they? They're dead. They're dead. Oh, we, my, my kids and I, we saw a, a dead deer on the side of the road the other day, as you do in the UP, right? And um, Sadie thought it was still alive because its, its eyes were open. Right? Look, look, looks, looks like it could be alive, right? But what is it? You ever hear that phrase, looks can be deceiving? You ever hear that? Yeah. And that was the problem here in Sardis. Uh, they looked like they were alive. They had a reputation, uh, but in fact, they were dead. Um, I want to work through a couple observations here and explain a few things. So uh, this idea of being dead is one as the most severest of indictments that is actually a little bit probably well known to the Sardinians. They had um, a necropolis. That's just a fancy word for a cemetery. They had this enormous cemetery that could be seen even seven miles away. Um, And it gave the appearance of being like a little town. I don't know if you can imagine that, but if you saw a cemetery from a faraway distance, it might look like little houses, right? And so from a distance, it looks like there's some life there. But in fact, what is there? 
As you make your way closer, you find that looks indeed are deceiving. And this, in fact, is a necropolis. It's two Greek words there, uh, meaning city of the dead. And, and that's who is living there in Sardis. And that has infected the church here as well. They gave the appearance of being a church. They gave an appearance of being popular. In fact, if you look back in the text, look what it says in verse 1. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. If you, if you were traveling through town and, and you were a Christian and you said, uh, is there, are there any churches here? Where, where would they point you to go? <clears throat> oh, yeah, you can go to the, the first uh, church in Sardis here. And, and they gave the reputation of being alive. They, they looked like a church. In fact, you know what? They might have had a very nice building. They, they might have had a really nice, newly renovated fellowship area. You know, they, they might have had beautiful quilts on the wall and crosses on the wall. Boy, it looked lovely there. They, they might have had a, just a beautiful service. But when it came to the understanding of the church being a living organism... And you've already heard from Phil today what that looks like. It means being a family, a family that serves one another. They weren't alive. They weren't vibrant. They were dead. People would come to church and then they would what? And then they would leave. And the next Sunday, what would they do? And then what would they do? And they would leave. And, and, and there was no embracing of the Spirit's gifting to be active, to be serving they probably were praying for people on a prayer list. I, I bet that was there. Was there any life behind those prayers? Was there any service behind it? Looks can be deceiving. The very first thing I want you to see as, as we're studying this, in fact, look at Jesus' words here. Luke 13, he says, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also. I will dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. The tree looked what? Uh, well, it had leaves. <laughs> It, it, it looked it looked alive, right? But what did it lack? Fruit. And so therefore, what was it? It was dead, even though its appearance might have looked like it was alive. Jesus gives another uh, parable of this. Uh, Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly. But inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men. But inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, let me tell you something, church. It's a piece of cake to put on a tie. Do you know how hard this is to do? This is not hard at all. You, you can look all glamorous on the outside. You can wear your best dolled up dress and come to church and smile while all the long you know that your life is not walking in step with the Spirit. In fact, there is no fruit. You got some shiny leaves on the outside, but inside it's dead. The first observation I want to give you is that reputation is no guarantee for life. Reputation is no guarantee for life. Now, we would desire that God's church does have a good reputation, especially with the outside world, that we are known for our works of service. 
Uh, we're going to see here in a moment that there are some works, but there's a problem with them. And we're going to look at those in a moment here. But just before I leave this point, I want to make very certain, and I preach this a lot. I feel like you guys get this. Do not confuse the church for a building. Amen? Amen. Do not confuse the church for a service. We, the, the church is not a service. The church is not a building. The church is a people. The church is a family. And that's where life needs to be seen. Serving one another and then reaching as far as our arms can, can reach into all of those lands, even distant from our own, to share the love of Christ. That we would be a living, vibrant church. So if you travel with me a little bit further in the passage, you'll see in verse 2, the command here to wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So very much like Jesus' parable, the tree, right? He said, cut it down. But then what did the gardener say? Give it what? Give it another year, right? And, and, and work the soil. And, and maybe, it will, maybe it will live. That's the same thing in Sardis. Jesus is writing, he says, hey, this is kind of your final notice. You're dead. It's time to wake up. You need to strengthen what remains. There's, there's a little bit there that can be strengthened. We can revive this thing. We can see maybe a little, little blossom that's going to turn into some fruit later in the, in the fall. But it's time to really get after this thing. He, he indicates the main problem, and I want you to see this in verse 2. Look what he says right after that. Strengthen what uh, remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Um, I, I think this might be a little bit of a difficult translation into English. Uh, the word here for complete means to simply make full, to fill. It's not halfway. It's a full measure. That's what the word means, complete. Uh, I think, though, if we were to track with what the author, what Jesus is really trying to, to, to emphasize here, I would use the word half-hearted. I think that really con- conveys uh, maybe the spirit of what that word is doing. So it would read somewhat like this. For I have found your deeds half-hearted. I'm sure you can easily identify perhaps in the most important relationship that you have on earth with your spouse that if love is shown out of duty or because I have to, how's that feel? You like that? Here's your dinner. Enjoy. Um, filled your car up with gas because you wanted me to, right? Uh, how's that go across? How's the heart? Full or half? You good with that? Are you like, yeah, well, that's great. That's all I'm looking for. That's all I'm looking for in my spouse. Half-hearted affection. I, I think it's pretty obvious for us to understand that when love is offered, do you want half-hearted love? Come on. Do you want half-hearted love? No. no. Neither does God. God is not content with a portion of your heart. He wants all of it. And the problem with their deeds are they weren't full. They, they were done, oh, because we got to show up. I guess we'll show up. Or, you know what, it's, it's a, I, I give a little bit of my time only because I have to. Now, who's guilty of that? Be honest, you're in church. Anyone ever guilty of that? I'm raising my hand. I'm guilty of that from time to time. And so what's the problem here? It's, not, it's actually not a problem with my deed. It's a problem with my what? It's a problem with my heart. And so this is the second observation. Half-hearted devotion is equal to dead devotion. Uh, my dad used to have a, <coughs> have a phrase, uh, if you do a job, do it 
right the first time. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I never liked fall growing up. Why, why do you suppose the kid didn't like fall? Because my dad found the rake. It didn't matter where I hit it, he would find it. Here you go, son. And I, and I know going out there is like, oh, I'd rather be doing anything. And so I do this like cheap little job. I, I'm, I'm sure your kids have never done that. I'm sure they do it perfect every time, right? But I wasn't perfect. I do this, this crappy little job. It wasn't complete. And was my dad satisfied with that? No, you might as well not done it at all. If you're going to do a job, do it right the first time. Man, that got drilled into me hard, right? So now I get to pass that on. Listen, as a pastor, it applies to the church as well. Half-hearted devotion is equal to what? It's dead devotion. You might as well not done it at all. Um, it, it's almost insulting. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's move on here. Uh, the next thing that I want to explain to you is the command. Uh, the command that he gives is to wake up. As we get down to application, there's actually five commands, and I'm going to explain those once we get to application. But wake up is the main idea. Um, I I want to make sure that you understand what we're talking about here for wake up. Uh, Wake up is not like mom used to do when you were kids. Honey, time for school. Time to get up, sweetie. Right? That's not this kind of wake up. Uh, This is the kind of wake up. um, When I was in college, uh, my roommate and I, he bought a car in Colorado. I went to school in Ohio. So we got to drive the car from, let me rephrase that. I got to drive the car from Colorado all the way uh, back to Ohio. It's a 24-hour drive. And through Indianapolis, my eyes got really heavy. It's dangerous now, right? Now, if you're driving on that six-lane highway... And you start to do one of these, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, does the passenger say, now, sweetie? What do they say? How do they say it, Bob? Wow. Well, say it! Wake up. Oh, say it like you're driving. Wake up! Wake up! That's what this is. This isn't a, take your time, and when you're ready, this is a, watch out! Look out! This is danger-ridden. Wake up here is a command that is going to drive us to understand something that's core to the church. Um, If you look down in verse 3, you will see a few of these other commands. Remember is another one. What you have received, heard, obeyed, and repent. Uh, It's the phrase in there to remember what you have received. Because whatever it means to wake up involves recalling something that you were given. Now that little phrase right there, that which you have received, it actually shows up in another letter to a church in Asia Minor. In fact, only some 50 miles from Sardis, close enough that you could get there in two days. It came in a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And so what I want you to do is hold your spotting in Revelation, and I'd like you to turn to the book of Ephesians. So turn back in your New Testament to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I want you to see something that he says here in verse 4, and we're going to reference it back into, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4 and back into chapter 3. Page 1664 in the Pew Bibles, the the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. 
1667 now. Thank you. Okay. Here we go. Look at verse 1 with me. Chapter 4 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, because Paul is a prisoner when he's writing this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Do you see that phrase in there? Church, you have received the gospel. You have received salvation. Did you know there were strings attached? I'm I'm here to warn you and, and let everybody in on there are strings attached to following Jesus. It is not an easy thing to follow Jesus. In fact, if you claim the name of Jesus Christ over you, if you want to embrace salvation, to know Jesus and find eternal life, you have a calling. Now, the calling is both specific and general. Here, what I mean is this. You have a specific calling in life. You are not all called to be pastors. How miserable would that be if the whole church were, were all pastors? Right? Can you imagine what that would be like? God has called you to a very specific place in life. That is a specific calling, but then there's a general one that determines the specific one. And for that, this idea in verse 1, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, we have to find out what that calling is. So I want to invite you to just look back a little bit. Chapter 3, don't let me lose you now. Chapter 3 in verse 10, watch what God's call was to the Apostle Paul for the churches. Ephesians 3 verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What's the church's job? Make God known. Did everybody catch that? Your job as being a part of the church is to make God known. Say amen if you're with me. What was Sardis doing? You can turn back to Revelation now. What was Sardis doing? Who, whose reputation were they making known? Their own. Their own reputation. They were so concerned about carrying the flag and the banner of their church's branding. You knew there was a church in Sardis, but that church was dead. For they did not carry the banner of Jesus Christ. They failed at what they had received. Their calling that they had received was exactly what Paul reminds the Ephesians of. You are to now make the manifold wisdom of God known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's everywhere on earth. Everywhere. In heaven and on earth. Your task is to make God known. And I want you to understand that that's something that's seen both general and specific. And so the third uh, point that we have to conclude here to the Sardinians is... The church is called to make God known. It is not about your reputation. It is about Christ's reputation. It is not about your glory. It is about Christ's glory. I'm hoping that hits you this morning. I'm hoping that as you're contemplating with the Spirit's leadership of this message, that you hear... I don't want to be dead. I don't want to live as somebody who has not embraced the life of the Holy Spirit. Each of you has the Holy Spirit and each of you have been positioned in this world for a specific task. Not everybody is a pastor. That's a great thing. We would be in big trouble if we were. Everyone has a role to play though. And this, the specificity of that calling is that you are called 
not to make yourself known, not even to make Grace Presbyterian known, you are called to make who? To make God known. All right, just two, two more real quick, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, if, you, if you look here, he says that if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief, and you won't know at what time I'm coming to you. This idea of a, of a thief coming um, is not a question of Jesus' arrival. It's not like Jesus is doing one of these. All right? he, he, that's not what Jesus is doing. The problem's with the church, because the church is doing what? Yeah, they're, they're, they're out of this, right? They're, they're dead. They're, they're not paying any attention. So when Jesus says he's coming like a thief... Um, we don't know the hour of the day that he's coming. Most commentators don't think this is referencing Jesus' second coming, although we do have the same language used, uh, that he will come like a thief if we're not awake and not watching. Um, they think that this is coming specifically in judgment over uh, Sardis and the church there. Um, I think it could be either or. Point being, you need to be what? Sleeping or awake? awake. Need to be awake, right? And then he won't come like a thief. Um, the, the phrase that comes after this in verse 4, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Um, most think that this is referencing, again, that wool textile industry. Uh, the Sardinians would know very much about wool. Um, in fact, uh, Jesus says you'll be, you'll be uh, uh, clothed in white garments. He says it twice. Uh, verse 4, they've not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white. Verse 5, he overcomes will be like them dressed in white. Um, white here is a metaphor for purity and victory. In fact, it's used throughout the book of Revelation in reference to those two themes, purity and victory. It shows up in chapter 3, verse 18, chapter 6, verse 11, chapter 7, verse 9, chapter 7, verse 13, chapter 19, verse 14. It's a common theme through the letter. Dressed in white is symbolizing a purity and it's symbolizing a victory. I think it might mean something else, though. And, and if you just permit me to speculate for a minute. The other day I was working um, over at my mom's place and it had rained uh, recently. Um, and I, I needed to take a little break. I didn't have a chair, so I sat down on the ground. Now, what happens to your keister if you sat down on wet ground? <laughs> It looks like you soiled your clothes, is what it looks like. Uh, in fact, we uh, had football practice this past week when all the rain was coming down. And in effort to keep our kids from all catching a cold, uh, when they do stretches, we told them, don't lay down and don't stretch on the ground. Because if you do, what happens? Soil your clothes, right? And so I think there might be in this, again, a little bit of a metaphor here. Uh, the, the church in Sardis, are they alert, awake, walking, or are they laying down? Yeah, and, I, and so I think there might be something in there with this idea of soiling their clothes. Um, and in fact, I would say that that might be shown as a proper interpretation with verse 4, because after he says, you've so, um, those who have not soiled their clothes, what will they do? They will walk with me, right? And you can't walk if you're laying down. Uh, church, oh, I want to get preachy on this. Don't be found laying down. Don't ever let it be said of you. You were asleep. You were given only this much time in eternity to make God known on earth. Do you know how much time you have in your hourglass? How many sands do you have on the top left from the bottom? Anybody here know? Guess what? You don't know. Not a person in here understands that better than Evelyn Juno does today. She wasn't expecting to have a stroke. What about you? You're only given so much time. It's up to you. God gives you the freedom to decide. How am I going to use this time? Laying down, falling asleep, or walking with Jesus and making God known everywhere we go.
Uh, last thing I want to share with you are the rewards. There's, there's three of them that are mentioned here. Uh, oh, hold on, hold on. Let me get this last one up here. The, the church must be alert and they must walk in the light. Um, a couple of uh, passages for this. Ephesians 5, uh, as we were already in that t- context, right? For you were once in darkness... But you are now, but you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But everything is exposed, every, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. Therefore, he says, how does he say it? Say it. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then our passage, our reading that Lois read for us today. Uh, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. So therefore, the church must be alert, and they must walk in the light. Again, last thing I want to share with you here are the rewards. They come, they start in verse five. He who overcomes will be like them. Number three things. Number one, dressed in white. Number two, never blot out his name from the book of life. This is probably particularly in that culture and context referencing um, a citizenship book registry. So if you were born in a city, they wrote your name down in a book. And when you died, you know what they did? Cross your name out. How else would they know where to get taxes from, right? So they, they get, it's basically social security here for, uh, for, for the Old Testament or New Testament, ancient times, right? So this book of registry, uh, you could also get your name written out if you were a criminal. If you did a terrible offense, they would revoke your citizenship. That's a bit of this idea here. Um, when Jesus says your name will never be blotted out, Uh, from the book of life. It's very similar to something he says, Matthew chapter 10, he says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven, which is the very last and third reward that you'll find there in verse five, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. And lastly, in verse six, the entreatment, he who has an ear, let him hear. Okay, what do we do with this? I would hope you can imagine what I'm gonna say. What should the church do? Wake up. up. You got to wake up. Uh, This this command in the original language is something that's called a a present tense participle, which just means this. It's continual. It's continually being alert. Continually watching and looking. In fact, Peter writes to the church, he says, the devil is like a roaring what? And what's the lion doing? Sleeping, chilling, taking a day? What's the lion doing? Roaming around, roaring, seeking who he may what? Devour, right? That's what the devil's doing. And so what should the church do? Kick its feet up and watch the game? You need to be alert. You need to watch. You need to wake up. It's a present tense. It means it's continual. So I have a couple of questions I want to ask you. And you got to answer these. Number one, where are you too comfortable today? Because if you want to fall asleep, that's step number one. You just got to get comfortable. Where are you too comfortable in life? Is, is church this easy for you that you just come and go and come and go and you, know, you don't have a role? You, you don't know where you are 
contributing and investing in the family. Everybody has a role somewhere. Somewhere by the Spirit's leadership. He's gifted you for service. But sometimes if we're too comfortable, we, don't, we just don't really know where that is. How about the next one? Where have you just been going through the motions? I, I want to say it's a very dangerous thing in a church to just follow the liturgy. Oh, pastor went out of order. Yeah, that's a good thing. Let's shake it up sometime, right? We need to make sure that we're not thinking church has to follow a specific routine. We made that up. Do you remember Lois's reading out of Isaiah? These people honor me with their, but their hearts are far from me. They just follow rules that were made by who? Yeah, that's it. Oh, we got to be careful, church. Don't just go through the motions has to come from a heart that's full. And lastly, uh, where, where have you kind of tuned out? I mean, I know I can drone on forever, right? It's easy. Be careful. Be very careful you don't tune God out in your life because you won't wake up. And so I want to I leave you with a way to do this. How, how do you wake up? And if you look back with me very quickly, as I conclude here, uh, verse 2 You have that imperative present tense participle, wake up. And then you have another command, strengthen. And so that's a way, I believe, that you can wake up, strengthen. Um, And then you'll see in verse 3, remember is another command. Two more in verse 3. Obey, um, the word here is actually the Greek word to keep. Um, which we would translate, yeah, that kind of means to obey, but it, it means this idea that there's this ownership over it. I've, I've internalized it. I've made the teachings of Christ my own. I'm holding them. I'm keeping them. And then number four uh, in verse three there, to repent. Uh, there's a verse that I put at the top of your sermon notes, and it's one that you will find fits very well into that illustration of a husband and wife relationship. Are you content with half-hearted devotion from your spouse? Are you? Hopefully not, right? Neither is God. Listen to what God says when it comes to love. He says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I think it might be coincidental, but I feel like the Spirit was leading me to attach these two thoughts together. How many things were mentioned here that you love God with? There's four things that are mentioned. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so what I want to do is I want to set these over on this side and see if you can identify which ones connect together. Uh, heart has to do with what? What part of you has an action of the heart? That's how you repent. And how about your soul? Your soul is where you keep God's commands and they're now like a, like a tattoo on your soul, branding you as a child of God. How do you remember? What part of your being do you use to remember with? Use your mind. The last one's a tough one. last one's really, if, if you're just waking up now, this is one you can get. Here we go. If you're, to love, if you're to love the Lord your God with all your strength, then you need to strengthen what remains. What would, or what should your love to your spouse look like? Half-hearted or not? Full devotion is what, is what you want from those who you love and those who love you. It's the same thing that God asks. Let's pray.